Section 16 of Women of Versailles, The Court of Louis the Fourteenth, by Arthur Léon Ambert de Saint-Amand, translated by Elizabeth Gilbert Martin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12. Madame de Maintenon as a Political Woman, Part 1. To write history with the aid of pamphlets, to accept as verities all the inventions of malevolence or hatred, to say with Beaumarchais, calumniate, calumniate, some trace of it will always remain, to belittle what is great, to misinterpret what is noble, to tarnish what is brilliant. Such are the tactics of the sworn enemies of our traditions and our glories. Such is the pleasure of the iconoclasts, who would like to efface from our annals all grandiose or majestic figures. The revolutionary school, whose disciples they are, has already done much harm. It has sapped the foundations of the edifice. It has aided to destroy that respect which is indispensable to well-organized societies. It has converted books into libels, criticisms into invectives, portraits into caricatures. It has conspired with that essentially false literature known as the historical novel to travesty persons and things and spread abroad a mass of exaggerations and fables which confuse facts and ideas and reverse the conceptions of good sense and justice. One of the men whom this school holds most in horror is Louis the Fourteenth, because he was the representative, or better, the living symbol of the principle of authority. It is tired of hearing him called the great, like that Athenian who was weary of hearing Aristides called the just. It has fancied it would extinguish the royal sun by breathing on it. An old potentate kept in leading strings by a bigoted and intriguing old woman. Such is the image it would delineate the characteristics it wishes to hand down to posterity as those of him who to his last hour, his latest breath, remained what he had been throughout his life, the very type of royalty, the sovereign by excellence. To dishonor Louis the Fourteenth in the woman whom he chose among all others as the companion of his maturity and his old age, such has been and still is the thing aimed at by writers of this school. They have based their judgments on those of the Duchess of Orléans, the Princess Palatine, whose portrait we have just essayed to trace, and on those of another equally objectionable witness, the Duc de Saint-Simon. It ought not to be forgotten that this hot-headed duke and peer, who often talked like Philant, if he always thought like Alceste, was at least frank enough to say of himself, the Stoic is a fine and noble chimera. I do not pique myself, therefore, on impartiality. I should do so in vain. It irritated him to be of no account in a government where many a man of middling abilities had secured the sovereign's favor. To be condemned to the idle existence of a courtier, to live in antechambers, on staircases, in the courts and gardens of Versailles and other royal residences, vexed and displeased his vanity. He laid the blame of this on Louis the Fourteenth, 
at first and afterwards on the woman whom he considered as the arbiter of all appointments but it was only in his memoir written clandestinely and kept under lock and key that he dared give expression to his wrath he was all respect and docility in presence of the king after bestirring himself a good deal concerning a certain collection which had been a subject of litigation between the princesses and the duchesses he said humbly to the king that to please him he would have passed around the plate like a village churchwarden he added that louis the fourteenth was as king and as benefactor of all dukes despotically master of their dignities to abase or to elevate them to dispose of them as a thing belonging to him and absolutely in his power he was not more haughty in the presence of her whom he characterizes in his memoirs as a notorious creole the begging widow of a crippled poet he even tried to gain her over to the interests of his ambition and to obtain through her means a captaincy of guards furious at not being called to the greatest positions of state he pleased himself with the posthumous revenge of describing madame de maintenon in the most odious colours relying on his imagination in default of other proofs he makes her a sort of ancient courtesan living by debauchery in her youth and by intrigue in riper years what he says of her is a tissue of inaccuracies he assigns her birth to america while it is certain that she was born at niort he will scarcely admit that her father was a gentleman while his nobility is absolutely incontestable he accuses her of having been supported by villars father of the marshal by the three villarceaux and by several others while it is positive that she never received a farthing obliged to own that on scarron's death she was reduced to the charity of her parish of saint eustache he does not perceive that such an assertion concerning a woman whose beauty was celebrated throughout paris proves in an undeniable fashion the virtue of that woman he reproaches her for having been led astray by the counsels of ninon de l'enclos whereas ninon herself says madame de maintenon was virtuous in her youth through weak-mindedness i wanted to cure her of it but she feared god too much every day increases the fame of saint-simon considered as a writer one must admire a style which recalls by turns the boldness of bossuet the brilliance of la bruyere and the ease and freedom of madame de sevigne but on the other hand the more one studies the court of louis the fourteenth the more fully one recognizes that the famous memoirs are full of inaccuracies in his remarkable critical study of saint-simon's work the learned m cheruel has already refuted in an invincible manner a great number of his errors and m soulier curator of the museum of versailles is constantly discovering new ones in the course of his patient and indefatigable researches m cheruel has abundant reason to say saint-simon's observation is subtle sagacious penetrating when it is a question of sounding the recesses of the hearts of courtiers but it lacks breadth and grandeur the court bounds his horizon all that lies beyond it is vague and indeterminate for him 
while granting him the perspicacity of an observer one must deny him the impartiality of a judge to listen to him madame de maintenon is the sole mistress of france the omnipotent sultana the pantocrat as the princess palatine calls her in her curious jargon he describes with many details her incredible success the entire confidence the rare dependence the almightiness the almost universal public adoration the ministers the generals of the army the royal family at her feet every boon and every advantage through her everything rejected without her men affairs things appointments justice favors religion everything without exception in her hands and the king and the state her victims needless to say that the revolutionary school has accepted this exaggerated assertion literally to believe it louis the fourteenth is nothing but a mannequin of which madame de maintenon pulls the strings a sort of crowned gérante who lets himself be tricked like a child by a jesuit and an old woman it is thus they seek to tarnish the aureole with which posterity has surrounded the most majestic of all instances of old age let them say what they will louis the fourteenth always remained master and it was he who traced the great political lines of his reign madame de maintenon may have advised him but it was he who gave the final decision we say willingly with m emile challe this intelligent woman far from being too much listened to was not enough so there was in her a veritable love for the public welfare a true sorrow in the midst of our misfortunes Today it is necessary to retrench much from the grandeur of her power and add a great deal to that of her soul it is well worthy of remark that the woman who is now accused of a mischievous meddling in everything was reproached by the most eminent men of her time of standing too much aside fenelon wrote to her they say you take too little part in affairs your mind is more capable of it than you think you are perhaps a little too distrustful of yourself or rather you are too much afraid to enter into discussions contrary to the inclination you have for a tranquil and meditative life that madame de maintenon may have influenced certain appointments does not appear doubtful but that she alone of her own motion controlled the ministers is a pure invention we believe her to have been sincere when she wrote to madame des ursins in whatever way matters turn i conjure you madame to regard me as a person incapable of affairs who heard them talked of too late to be skilful in them and who hates them more than she ignores them my interference in them is not desired and i do not desire to interfere they are not concealed from me but i know nothing consecutively and am often badly informed reading or working at her tapestry while the king was working with one or another of his ministers madame de maintenon never timidly hazarded a word except formally when requested her attitude toward louis the fourteenth was that of respect humility and modesty true the king said to her they call the popes your holiness and kings your majesty 
you, madame, should be called your solidity. But this praise did not turn the head of so prudent and reasonable a woman. End of section 16